The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. You know, ever since we have uh, constructed this new building, uh, there have been a number of times that we've said that the building is not the church. And I think we all understand that. Unlike the Old Testament, where the Lord had the tabernacle and then the temple, which was the physical place where you were supposed to worship, today in the church, uh, the people themselves as a collective body of baptized believers are the church. We don't need a physical structure to worship or to function as the church. But nonetheless, we tend to associate the building with the church. And I don't think there's any problem with that. I don't think that displeases the Lord at all because He knows we're not worshiping the building. Most primitive Baptists do not build elaborate structures and I think that's one of the reasons why is because we don't want to focus on the structure we want to focus on the Lord but again it often helps us to have uh, pictures literal pictures of spiritual concepts sometimes I come up here to pray and it seems like I can focus better on the Lord because that's what this building is used for. Sometimes I'll just walk around uh, the walls uh, there next to the windows and pray. It seems like that can help me focus. So there's nothing wrong with uh, honoring the building. Right. You know, if we had a, it'd be okay to have a wedding here. Uh, but I wouldn't want to have a rock concert. I wouldn't want to rent it out for that. You know, we wouldn't want to uh, do anything that's immoral or dishonorable. Now, I pastored a church one time. I think they were a little bit confused on that. They didn't want you to have uh, uh, instrumental music even in a wedding. Well, a wedding's not the worship service. And so we just need to realize that The building uh, can be used for other purposes other than worship, but they should all be things that are honorable to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, there are many, many verses that talk about the Lord's place of worship, whether it's the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, you know, the place where the people were to worship in Jerusalem was Mount Zion. And, you know, our churches today uh, use names like that. You know, we're Zion Church. There's a Zion Rest in Jasper. There's a Mount Zion Association in North Alabama. And I believe that the reason... Some of our churches have those names is to help us keep in our mind that this is the place of worship. So what I want to do today 
is look primarily in the Old Testament to help us see some pictures there that would apply to worship today. You know, someone once said a picture is worth a thousand words. And while I'm not going to be actually showing you a picture, I'm going to be looking at uh, verses that would be word pictures as far as how they would apply to the church. And so I want to entitle this message, Dwelling in the Lord's House. I want to begin in Psalm 26 and verse 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Now this was Old Testament. This could certainly be applied to the physical place of worship. But I believe we can also apply this in principle to the place that we have designated for worship. Amen. Notice what he says. I have loved the habitation. That means the dwelling place of thy house. Now today our bodies are the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But when we meet together in this building, we view this as the Lord's house right. because practically all of our worship takes place here. So in, the, in that sense, when we read this verse, he says, I have loved the habitation of the Lord's house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. That means we should love this place because of what it has been designated to. And so I want you to think about this and ask yourself, do these verses describe me? Do you uh, love the habitation, the dwelling place of the Lord's house and the place where his honor dwelleth? Now go down to the next psalm, uh, Psalm 27 and verse 4, and, and uh, ask yourself if, if this describes you. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That's getting sort of specific, isn't it? One thing have I desired of the Lord. Now if we didn't have the uh, remainder of this verse to read, we might say, well, I wonder what that is. I think I would. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Do I desire fellowship with him? That's a good thing. Do I desire his blessings in my life, whether it be spiritual or him blessing me materially as a result of me honoring him? What is it? Well, he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. Whatever that thing is, I'm going to seek after it. Now, you know, Jesus said in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, that we're to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, we know Jesus was speaking of his spiritual kingdom. Well, this is the exact same principle, but in the Old Testament, they thought about it in terms of the place of true worship. 
He says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell, that means that I may abide in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Amen. I remember when Brother Harold passed away that one of the things that his family said of him was how much he missed going to church. I remember uh, Elder Ronald Lawrence one time telling about uh, one of the members of his church who had Alzheimer's and you know her ability to comprehend and think was getting really bad. But he said even then, uh, she would get up each morning getting ready to go to church. You see what the one thing was on her mind? She, she wasn't able to take care of herself. She probably wasn't able to put her clothes on. But one thing she still remembered, and every day she was getting up to go to church. And they had to remind her, well, Mom, this is not Sunday. And another thing he said, when you were there, she just talked the whole time you were there. But he said, when you told her, well, let's, let's have prayer. He said, then she would always get quiet and be quiet until the prayer was over. You see, that's not just uh, accidental. That's not a mystery. That's what had been on her mind foremost was the church and worshiping God in the church. She, she, it was stored in her mind that when we're having prayer, you need to be quiet. And I thought that was incredible that someone who had uh, practically lost their mind still had that one desire with them. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, is that our attitude toward this place? That we want to dwell here. This doesn't necessarily mean every day of your life. But all the days of our life, we want to be here and meet together and worship. This is our foremost one desire. To behold, here's what we want to do here. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Did you know even though this is the Old Testament, that's still the main two purposes of the church. Right. To behold the beauty of the Lord is to worship him yeah. for what, who he is and what he's done for us. And to inquire in his temple means I am seeking out knowledge. I'm seeking out his wisdom. I'm seeking out what his word teaches and I want to live by it. So see, today it's the same way. We're here not to be distracted with other programs, but we're here to behold the beauty of the Lord. When you hear a minister preach about the mercy of God, the grace of God, how he loved us in Christ, how that we're saved for Christ's sake, how that God is without sin and cannot look upon sin, all of those things are referring to the beauty of the Lord. And it should be our desire to inquire in His temple. Amen. 
Brother Brother Chris has been preaching a lot from the book of Proverbs. And Brother Chris, I kind of get disappointed on Wednesday night when you pick another subject. I, I hope I enjoy all the subjects, but that's that's such a a, a special book in terms of inquiring in the Lord's house. We're here to learn how to implement it in our day-to-day activities. I recently saw a couple of pictures on the internet that really impressed me. One was a group of people meeting to worship in the Philippines. And they had a building and it was you know, a a nice structure. There was nothing fancy about it, but it was a good shelter. And they had received a lot of rain and there had been some flooding. And they showed the people sitting on the pews, either singing or listening to preaching. I don't remember which it was. And you wouldn't have known anything was wrong. But then you look down at the floor and they're all about ankle deep in water. Didn't bother them a bit. They were there meeting together and worshiping. Now I realize we're in a different situation here. In the Philippines, they are accustomed to harsh conditions and they're probably immune to things we're not immune to. You know, we think about how much mold and other things there would be, but they were sitting there worshiping as if if the water wasn't even there. And then I saw another picture in Venezuela. And I recognized that uh, not everything about these uh, scenarios are, are according to the biblical pattern, but I'm just trying to point out to you the, the real hungering of God's people in other countries. It showed this swimming pool full of people. And they were being baptized. Now there were different men baptizing them. I even saw a woman baptizing some people. But that's not the point. In this still photograph. The people being baptized, it was amazing how happy they were. And even the ones where they were shedding tears, you know, this is just a still picture, not a video. The ones that were shedding tears, you you could tell it was because they were happy. And I thought, here, all this distraction, you know, all these people being baptized at the same time in the swimming pool, and they were just so joyful. And that's the way we should be toward Amen. the Lord's house. Amen. Look at Psalm 84 in verse 10. This is one of my favorites with regard to this subject. Psalm 84 and 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. There's a hymn that we used to sing a lot when I was growing up that says... A day in his courts than a thousand beside is better and lovelier far. My soul hates the place where the wicked reside and all their delights I abhor. One thing have I desired of the Lord. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper 
in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now that expression doorkeeper, I've heard some different ideas about that. I tried to study that a little bit this morning. And the point's the same, regardless of what it referred to in particular. You know, I always thought it was someone that had some insignificant responsibility, you know, out of the way that nobody else saw. But uh, some of the places that I read said it just means someone that just stood at the door. <laughs> they didn't even come in. They just stood back there at the door. Here's someone that says, there doesn't have to be room for me in the building if I can just stand back at the door. You know, there have been revivals in the past uh, where, you know, the churches didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have screens on the windows. I can remember it was that way when I was a child. We didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have screens on the window. But there have been revivals where the building would be full and people would be leaning on the windowsill from the outside to listen to the preaching. Obviously, they desired one thing. Right. And to them, a day in his courts was better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And the tents of wickedness there are referring to the, uh, the things of this world that are considered the, the best uh, entertainments as far as ungodly things are concerned the the best things to appeal to the flesh i'd rather be the least in the kingdom of god than to make than to make my dwelling in other words the place where i abide and the place where i live there's some people who live for entertainment there's some people who live for ungodliness the psalmist says, I'd rather be the most unnoticed in the kingdom of God than to be the life of the party. Now look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 18. Now so far, we've looked at three verses that describe the right attitude. Someone that has found the kingdom of God. You know, the one of the churches in Revelation was harshly condemned simply because they left their first love. It doesn't necessarily say they were living immoral or ungodly, but they had left their first love. And I think I've been guilty of that. How about you? Yeah. Oh, I'm physically here each time we meet. But I feel like oftentimes in my mindset that I've left my first love. Be honest with yourself. Have you ever thought, oh, it's Wednesday night, I'm really tired. Have you ever thought that? You know, that's, that's the weakness of our flesh. And, you know, we don't want to crucify uh, the old man. And, and there are plenty of places in the Bible. For example, I didn't look this up, it just came to my mind. But for example, there's one place in the Old Testament where it says, in the minds of the people, the Lord's house has become tributary. Just not really important anymore. But notice here, 
in Jeremiah chapter 18 and beginning with verse 14. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forgotten? Because my people hath forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths and a way not cast up to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. Notice the question. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field, or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forgotten? In other words, here's the best, most refreshing water there is. You know, the Bible spoke a lot about the mountains of Lebanon. That was probably the, the best, freshest, coldest spring water you could find. And notice how he describes it. He says, will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field? In other words... Here's a water that's still cold, the snow of Lebanon, this melted snow uh, flowing from the rock of the field. And then he describes it, the cold flowing waters that come from another place. Can't you see the spiritual application of that? The cold flowing waters that come from another place. Will a man leave that? <clears throat> Obviously some will. Right. Obviously some did. Right. The Lord says, my people hath forgotten me. Mm. They burned incense to vanity. They have caused them to stumble in their ways from what? The ancient paths. Now think about how that applies to the church. Oh, yeah. The true gospel in its most Pure form, not perverted, not adulterated, where man must meet conditions. But he says regarding that uh, true gospel, uh, that to leave these cold waters is to leave the ancient paths. A lot of churches today have left the ancient paths. I've heard several people say this. I don't see how anybody could be a true old Baptist and then go somewhere else. That's what he's saying here in principle. The Lord said, you've worshipped me in truth. You've partaken of, of the cold waters that come from another place. You know, the Bible says is cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news. From a far country. That could be in principle applied to the gospel, couldn't it? The gospel is good news. That's what the word means by definition. It's glad tidings. And I know people, and you probably do, that for various reasons have left the ancient paths 
And he says, They burned incense to vanity. They have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up. See, we don't have the right to invent our own paths. The Lord has cast up the way for us to go. And he said, the Lord is displeased here that they're walking in paths in a way not cast up. That's why Jeremiah said in chapter 6, verse 16, that we're to stand in the ways. There are a lot of ways you can go. There's a lot of paths out there, and there's a lot of them that are not God's way. So Jeremiah says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? You know, many people believe, well, you know, that, that old way of worship is outdated. It doesn't have the things that are so needful today. Well, the Lord says in those, old, he doesn't say stand in the ways and look for new paths. Look for that which is exciting because it's never been tried before. You know, in the book of Proverbs, at least twice, it says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. You know, if you've got a, a true certified marker on the corner of some property, it's not a good thing to go around moving that at your own discretion. Right. He says, don't remove the ancient landmarks. And I think it's, Interesting that he said that thy fathers have set. This has been established. This is where the border is. And that's how we look at the kingdom of God. Uh, he set some landmarks. I believe our doctrine of salvation is one of those landmarks. And there are very few that haven't moved that landmark. But he says here in Jeremiah 6, 16, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Somebody say, oh, I know where the truth is. I've heard people actually say about people that have been baptized that know the truth. Oh, they're a staunch primitive Baptist. No, they're not. They're not even a primitive Baptist. They haven't joined. See, this says stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. It's one thing just to know where the truth is. But he says we're to walk therein. And it's only when you do all of that that you'll find rest for your souls. So back to Jeremiah 18. They've walked in these paths in a way not cast up to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Now listen to this. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. You know, this church about a hundred years ago, whether it was intentional or not, removed a landmark. That landmark being that uh, God not only predestinated his people to be in heaven, but he also preordained everything you do. That's not, that's moving the landmark. The landmark is that we're saved by grace. And if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured of the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. 
And that can apply physically or spiritually. But I want you to notice this. When these landmarks are removed, uh, everyone, uh, he says, everyone that passeth by shall be astonished and wag his head. That's what Brother Chris used to do when he drove by here. That's right. When he drove by here, he would wag his head. That's right. And say, old Zion Church, they won't be here much longer. That's what he's talking about. And that happens when you remove the landmarks. I know that there have been many things when I was growing up in the Primitive Baptist that you young people haven't experienced that were a reaction to what other churches did. You know, you may say, well, why why were there preachers way back then that didn't read and wouldn't bring their Bible into the pulpit and say, well, I haven't studied. If I'm going to preach, the Lord's got to bless me to preach. That was a reaction to seminaries. But see, in reacting, uh, we moved the landmark. We moved the border. We went beyond the border. So you see, that can be so detrimental to the church. Look at now Psalm 137. Yes, we can leave the snow of Lebanon. We can leave those cool flowing waters that come from another place. But notice what the result will be in Psalm 137, beginning with verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. You know what Babylon means? Confusion. You know, Egypt is representative of the world. And if you go through the Old Testament, you know we're told not to trust in Egypt. Don't trust in the world. Don't put your confidence in horses and chariots. Meaning, don't put your confidence in the strength of this world. But here he speaks of Babylon. God's people were literally taken into Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament. And it means confusion. Now this is God's people. This is not Babylonian citizens under consideration here. This is God's people in captivity. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. I hope that would be your experience. If you got away from the true church and you were at a a religious assembly that had very little truth and they didn't believe the doctrines of grace and maybe they used a, a, a version of the Bible that you could hardly even recognize and maybe the, the preacher uh, just spoke for 10 minutes and he didn't refer to the Scripture. I hope that if, you, if that was the only place in your area where you could worship, I hope that you would weep when you remembered Zion. Amen. I hope I would. Now don't, first of all, don't move to a place where that'll be the case. But any sincere child of God that loves the truth, it would be natural for him to feel that way. And notice it says uh, in verse 2, notice 
Uh, he says, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. We didn't even try to sing. You know, I can't sing. I'm a stranger here below in a congregation that's confident about how they've met the conditions. <laughs> I can't sing, uh, as he says in the next uh, verse, for there they, there they there that carried us away captive required us of us a song and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they said, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know, when I was growing up, and I would go to church organizations where some of my friends went, They basically, other than in addition to the practice we have, as far as our worship service is concerned, they had a choir and usually an organ and a piano. It's not that way today. It is a strange place. It is so different. And, and if someone is satisfied with whatever way of worship they're involved in, that's where they need to stay unless they're dissatisfied with it. I'm not being critical. They believe that's the way to worship and that, that's between them and the Lord. We don't believe that's the way to worship. And if we were in that strange land, we wouldn't feel at home, would we? I went to one of my daughter's graduations and the minister was using, it doesn't even to me qualify as a version of the Bible, it's called the message. And it took me a while to say, oh, what he's reading is supposed to be the Bible. He was reading a verse I was real familiar with. And after a while I thought, oh yeah, he, that's supposed to be such and such verse. One time with the children when we were going on a trip, I think it was not long after we moved here and we went to the... Uh, the Tom Bigby Association up in Winfield, and for entertainment on the way up there, here's what we did. Somebody pulled up the message on their phone, and I would say, look up this verse and see what it says. And we would laugh. That was our entertainment. I was at the swearing-in at the courthouse. I don't remember if Brother Chris was there or not, but the minister that was there at that swearing-in he, he wanted to read that verse that said, What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? You know, to love, mercy, and so forth. Walk humbly with your God. Here's what it said. I couldn't believe this. He said, I'm going to use one of the modern versions. It seems to get the point across. And he turned to it and read it. And it said, Don't take yourself too seriously. That's the message. And I'm afraid that's the message a lot of people are living by. There's really, I mean, you would not even know that's the Bible. Don't take yourself too seriously. That doesn't give you a whole lot of counsel, does it? I'd far rather have the reliable, inspired, preserved Word of God. People say, have you ever heard someone say, well, I don't understand all the these and the thous. They're talking about other people. <laughs> You can understand the these and the nows. I believe one singular and one plural. I'll let somebody uh, verify that later on. 
you know, people use things like that to say, well, I, I can't understand all the these and the thous. Now look what he says as you continue in Psalm 137. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The response was, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And then listen to this. Now keep in mind that they didn't come to this mindset until they lost what they had. You know, you'll take those cold flowing waters for granted if you can go to them whenever you want to. You know, we've had our pump house go out several times. And now every time, like yesterday, I did some weed eating and, you know, you just get that dust and trash all over you and your hair everywhere. And now when I take a shower, I'm like, I hope the pump doesn't go out. <laughs> well, I used to not think that way. <clears throat> Growing up in Tuscaloosa, <clears throat> we didn't have a pump. Though I don't remember one time that we didn't have water. So you take it for granted, don't you? But I don't take it quite for granted now because that's the first thing I take, think about when I really need a shower and I get in the shower. That's the first thing I think about every time. I sure hope the water doesn't quit. But notice what happened here. This was after they didn't have the water. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Now Jerusalem is another reference to the place of true worship. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Now, can you safely pray that prayer? I don't know if it'd be safe for me to pray it. I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to talk anymore. Listen to what the prayer is. Lord, if I forget Jerusalem, if I don't remember thee, then let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I don't prefer Jerusalem above my chief joy, whatever I love the most, if it's, uh, if it's football or some particular entertainment. The prayer is, Lord, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I don't prefer Jerusalem above my favorite thing out there in the world. I don't think there's been a single time where I've heard a brother offer public prayer and say that. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. Probably because most of us are afraid to pray it. May not be able to finish the prayer. Now look at Hosea chapter 6. Notice the pattern so far. We begin in Psalms describing what our attitude should be about the church. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And then we consider that question, will a man leave these cold flowing waters? And then when we looked at a historical account where God's people did leave the waters and then they realized what they lost as they were in Babylonian captivity. But now notice the hope given 
in Hosea chapter 6. You see, God was always long-suffering with His people. It was only after perpetual, long-term disobedience that they finally went into captivity. In Hosea chapter 6, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. And the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain. As the latter and former rain unto the earth. Come and let us return unto the Lord. You know, that applies collectively or as an individual because Isaiah 55 and I believe verse 8 says, let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. Now, God's people can get be wicked, can't they? Because uh, sometimes the word wicked refers to the unregenerate and the unregenerate can't return to the Lord because he's never been there to start with but let the wicked child of God return unto the Lord and unto our God for he will abundantly pardon let me quote that all right let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and unto our God for he will abundantly pardon aren't you glad it's that way Aren't you glad in 1 John 1, 7 it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's speaking of the conscience, not that which gets you to heaven. That's speaking of fellowship being restored. I want to conclude by noticing uh, hymn number 158. And I'd like to read a few of the verses and then uh, lead this hymn. Uh, notice 158 verse 1. says, You may sing of the beauty of mountain and dale, of the silvery streamlets and flowers of the vale, but the place most delightful this earth can afford is the place of devotion, the house of the Lord. You may boast of the sweetness of day's early dawn, of the sky's softening graces when day is just gone, but there's no other season or time can compare with the house of devotion, the season of prayer. Then look at the last verse. Ever hail, blessed temple, abode of my God. I will turn to thee often to hear from his word. I will walk to the altar with those that I love. Hope that describes us. I will walk to the altar with those that I love and delight in the prospect revealed from above. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 